I just crushed the, my whole family. There are times where I was like, it would have been easier if I just died because Lynn and the girls could have moved on. Like when you're alone in the hospital, especially at night, because I wasn't sleeping. In the hospital, you don't really sleep all that much because everything's beeping and they're checking you for vitals. So there's a lot of time to think and this crushed your identity, but it's also crushing their identity. And back then too, the, the whole notion of asking for help, you know, forget about God, you know, the joke about guys and asking for help with directions. Here I was at the lowest point of my life and I'm like, golly, I have to ask for help. Like the people that are weak ask for help, right? Like people who don't know ask for help. Now, I, I have a completely different view of that now, but back then I was like, I have to ask for help for everything. And holy cow, like, man, this is going to be one long journey. And one I wasn't necessarily all that excited about pedaling towards. Like, and those were sort of the quiet moments by myself. And then when I had visitors, I felt, okay, Superman again, I got to put on the brave face. Like, hey, it's all good. Like, we're going to make this happen. Because I felt like I couldn't be vulnerable because the emotions were so powerful. We were still as a family trying to figure them all out. That's Michael O'Brien, and I'm Brian Felchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Felchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers, welcome to another episode of the Do A Day podcast. This one is with Michael O'Brien, Obi, the author of a book called Shift. He, it's, it's so interesting to me how we ended up getting connected because we have been around each other's kind of universes for a long time now. Like we know a lot of the same people, um, we've been talking to the same kind of inspirational people, and finally... Uh, kind of all at once, a bunch of them told him, oh, you should talk to Brian. And um, thanks to Claude Silver for making that final connection and actually uh, kind of forcing us to come together. He's incredible. What an amazing, amazing human being. Michael, years ago in 2001, uh, was really successful sales and marketing executive, uh, cyclist. You know, he'd gotten uh, he had been really fit and then became a dad and the whole dad bod thing and came back and was training and, and was getting really fit. He was uh, at a company retreat, kind of like a, a big meeting in the Southwest and went for a ride and uh, a car came out of its lane straight on into him and materially and permanently changed his life. Uh, in the wake of what was a very severe traumatic accident with very long and drawn out recovery process, Michael had a shift. And it was that shift that we talk about today, what he's done since then, what he discovered in his shift, and how he's helping others to do the same thing. Now, maybe you weren't in a car accident. Maybe the specifics of his life are not the specifics of your life. But whether you need to have an accident to wake up is the key question. And so having Michael share the notion behind shift and what it really means is so valuable. Um, one of the things we talk about in the episode is the idea that 
you know, I talk about it as being an employee of your life. He says it a bit more expressively. He's like, you know, you're kind of going through your life and it's like, eh, or meh. Um, you know, it's not, it's not exciting. It's not empowering. It's not positive. It's not growth. It just sort of is. It's coasting. And he brings in the analogy in cycling that if you coast, you know, eventually you stop. If you are in your car, you take your foot off the gas, you put the car in neutral, eventually you will stop. And you might hit some downhills and that keeps you going for a little bit, but eventually you will come to a stop. Is that what's going on with your life? And that is a really tough question to stop and think about. And that's where shift comes in. Michael shares the story, talks about what he describes as his last bad day, which is actually not the day of the accident. You might be surprised to find out. It's the day right before the shift happened. This is a point of inspiration. The story's tough. You know, here we are nearly 20 years later, and it still moves him. Like he talks about the recovery journey, and there's a point where he's talking about people who did or did not come to see him and his feelings about that and feelings towards them. And he's brought to tears, you know, even to this day, even talking about this story over and over again, writing about it, it's powerful. So definitely prepare yourself. Uh, it's a lot to take in, but it's an incredible story. The inspiration that comes out of it is so valuable. So with that, let's get into this episode with Michael O'Brien. Obi, thanks for being on the show. And I, I hope it's okay that I just called you Obi. I just went with it. You can definitely, <laughs> yeah, Brian, you can definitely call me Obi. Yeah. So awesome. I, I've been called a lot of things, Mike, Michael, Brian. I've, you know, I get a little Brian from O'Brien, but Obi is perfectly fine. All right. Um, the uh, ridiculously human guys, Craig and Gareth, yesterday kept referring you to Obi when I was recording on their show. And so I feel like it's now been ingrained in my head. Plus, absolutely. My, yeah. It's just confusing yeah, at home a, when I say Michael because my son thinks I'm talking about him, and he's like, "Wait, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't ride a, a bike like that." Well, yeah, no, Obi is perfectly fine. Cool. Um, well, yeah, I mean, so the the ridiculously human guys, Claude Silver, um, Kelsey, like we have we have a whole bunch of people in common here. Um, this was destined to happen one way or the other, but you and I had this awesome call a few weeks ago, I actually have no idea how long ago, maybe it was longer, but whatever it was, um, I, I was just like, yeah, a hundred percent, such a, such a connection. And then reading your book, which so th thank you so much for sharing it with me, but sharing your story more broadly. I, you're, you're such a perfect person to bring on here. And I, I'm really excited to get this shift that you talk about in your book shift. Um, cause I know that there are people who need to hear it and, and hear through how you came through that struggle. So really, Really excited to have you on. I'm I'm totally pumped. I remember that call. I was pulled over on a rest in a rest stop on the New York State Thruway. I was heading up to Albany, but I also remember being in Claude Silver's office at VaynerMedia. She's like, "You need to talk to Brian." That's awesome. And then and then we had all these different connections, as you mentioned, with Kelsey, and then you know, Chris and Gareth, and the whole. And it's like I think when we talked, it was like. Golly, how did we not find each other yeah. sooner? So I, I'm just no, I'm totally pumped to be here, be with your audience, share share my story in hopes that maybe they can make a shift as well after hearing it. Yeah, I love it. So so we start with gratitude for Kelsey Abbott and Claude Silver, and um, yeah, I don't know if if uh, 
if Gareth and Craig told you, but when they were prepping to interview me, the episode they happened to listen to, or no, when they were prepping to interview Claude, they happened to listen to my interview of her, like long before. Oh, wow. ever, yeah. So there, there's definitely something going on. Wow. That, that's freaky. <laughs> there's wow. something very strange. Yeah. And then I, I mentioned a friend while I was on the interview with them and he happened to email me like within 30 seconds of me mentioning his story. So there's, there's something very odd about you. Obi. Wow. There's, there's this magnetism that's drawing the world together. Around How about you. that? Yeah. That's pretty, pretty cool. cool. Huh? That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and none of that is why we're here today, but we'll, no. <laughs> we'll give, give people it's a little, really cool. Yeah, no, give people a little sense of what you're about these days. And then then I want to work backwards. And, and uh, the way that you got there is obviously why you're here. So we'll dig into that. But what what's your deal these days? What are you up to? Well, these days, I still try to be a more awesome husband tomorrow than I am today with my wife, Lynn. We've been married 25 years. I also try to be a a little bit better dad tomorrow than I was today with my two daughters, Elle and Grady. So mm. Elle's 21 and Grady's 18. Grady just graduated from high school last week. So wow. both be off to college. And then professionally, like that elevator pitch, if you will, Brian, is I tried to help uh, elevate uh, successful corporate leaders and help them prevent bad moments from turning into bad days. So I tend to work with sales and marketing types in corporations, but I, I work with others at a high level in the organization trying to help them change how they show up mm. and do, do their day, if you will, uh, make their shift. And because I believe this, if we can change how we work in this country, we can change how we live in this country because we're spending so much time at work. So I, I really view like work as a portal to change how we behave as a society. So I, I want to work with corporate leaders that also are interested in doing that. Obviously, they want to have success, uh, however they define it, obviously financial, but they also want to be wealthy from the inside out. So yeah. love working with those type of people. Oh, that's awesome. And, and I get very much the sense from you that there's no compartmentalization in how you look at it. You can't be good in one area and bad in another. You can't have struggles in one place and assume that it doesn't spill into another in one way, shape or form. Like we're, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like what, you know, when people come to me and they're like, well, I'm different at home. And I'm like, well, that means that means you're acting like 10 hours a day. And that's got to be really stressful yeah. for anyone who's been on stage. I know you've done your, your TEDx's and I've been on TEDx and being on stage for just 12 to 15 minutes. That's tiring enough. But yeah. if you had to show up as a different version of who you are 10 hours a day, that's that's a long day. And so what I try to help people do is show up and have alignment with their beliefs, their words, and their actions. And that way, they're managing their energy better. So they're not spending all their energy at, at work, and they come home with just the leftovers. Yeah. And I think that's what happens a lot with many people. I know it happened. I was doing the same thing. I was spending all my energy at work. I was just bringing leftovers home to the family before I had my accident, which I know we'll get into here in a bit. Yeah. No, you definitely, the way you were framing the existence and how you and Lynn sort of, you know, you, when you talked about falling into being able to ride again, it was like, we kind of found a rhythm. We're just sort of going through it. Things had settled down to an extent. It, it's this, um, not a general malaise, maybe that's more negative than it needs to be, but this sense that like, I think most people sort of get into coast mode where they're just sort of going through the motions, kind of working in their life as a whole. 
not really living it. So it's like, oh, okay, there's a little space over there. I'll use it for this rather than what is it I actually want to do and how do I frame things to get myself there more purposefully? I would totally agree. I think a lot of people are going through life having vanilla days or meh days. Like yeah. it's like it's okay. You know, they not they don't necessarily travel to the extremes of like this day was awesome. Yeah. Or this day was bad. And you know, we'll talk about my last bad day and you know, a lot of times we do label things in sort of absolute format and that, mm-hmm. that's very binary and it can leave us stuck. But I think many people are just going through, hey, it is what it is. I hear that a lot in corporations. Yes. I know you do too. It's like, hey, it is what it is. And to me, that's that's not acceptance. Yeah. That's like, meh, I'm like, I'm settling. It's whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's like, and so there, so you are sort of, coasting and you know we know this as you know cyclists if you coast for too long sooner or later you're going to stop and then all all of a sudden you're not moving at all and you're going to have a great likelihood to have a, a bad day or maybe a series of them yeah yeah i remember when you wrote that in the book and uh i i always use that as the coasting aspect of cycling as why to me it can be easier than running like you can't ever just you know stop moving your feet and just kind of roll downhill well, I guess you could, but that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not a good thing. And, but in cycling you can, but it's not, it's not that absolute. Like you do need to pedal again or eventually you'll stop. And for some reason in the day to day, I think most people do forget that. And, uh, I'm, I'm realizing the power in the title of your book shift is like, at some point you're going to have to shift gears and start working again. And what can you gain in that process? And where can you take yourself as a result of that? Absolutely. And, and having hopefully as many gears as is reasonable. So, so you have many different options. So I chose shift as the title. Obviously, the accident was a big shift, but also yeah. just, you know, shifting uh, perspectives within career and life. And there's so many different shifts. You know, we're making a shift as a family with our youngest, as I mentioned, going off to college. We're We're not total empty nesters, but we're we're on the beginning stages of yeah. that. Both girls are in college and we're shifting into a new way of living as a couple here in a few months. And and that that takes some intentionality in, in conversation to say, hey, you know, we're going through a family moment here. It's it's an awesome family moment, but we should talk about how do we want to be as a couple yeah. in this in this new way of living and yeah. which which we are doing, uh, which is probably no surprise, you know, for the people who know me that we're, we're talking about just how do, how do we support each other during, during this new phase, which is again, really exciting, but it, but it is different and it needs a conversation or at least some thought behind it. Yeah. Well, all right. We can keep alluding to this for the next 45 minutes or we can (laughs) let's, let's get into what led to everything for you. And the, you said it on our first call, this phrase, my last bad day, which what a beautiful way to phrase it. And of course it doesn't mean you don't have struggles or challenges. Like people are like, Oh, so everything's perfect for you. Now you have no faults, no issues. No, it's like, no, that's not, that's not the point. The point is perspective, but you did have a very bad last day that we got to get that out. So talk us through, talk us through your story. Yeah. Thanks Brian. So yes, there, there will be no rainbows and Skittles or butterflies in this story. Uh, Cause I still have, I still have my moments as we all do. It's human. So, okay, I'll take you back and listeners back to July 11th, 2001. 
This is before Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram and all that jazz. And I was a marketing director for my company's flagship drug. So I, it was a big, big position. And I would often joke that if we sneezed as a product, the whole company caught the flu because we were the, the biggest thing out there. So yeah. there was a lot of pressure and there was a lot of glory, though, when we, we when we did a good job and we hit our number. And Ellen Grady were three and a half years old and uh, seven months old, respectively. And Lynn and I had been married seven years. And by all accounts, if you just walked past us, it would be like, hey, they're living the dream. And there was some things that were really dreamy about it. But what I was doing was really following the script that I thought society wanted me to follow. I worked, worked as hard as I could in high school, went to a, a good university, got a degree, got my first gig, married, found a girl, married the girl, started my working my way up the corporate ladder. I was on the hamster wheel. I was doing a lot without much awareness. And I had some old scripts in terms of what it meant to be a leader. I thought leaders had all the right answers. Yeah. So as a leader at work, I thought I had to have all the right answers. And when I didn't, and it was stressful, I poured the stress inside because I wanted to have the persona of like, hey, we all good, right? It's all good. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. And then at home, as the provider and the husband and the dad, I thought they too had all the answers. So I tried to be Superman at home as well. So I was pouring a lot of stress inside, chasing happiness, as I would say. And we were at a company offsite meeting, which min many of your listeners have been to similar ones. You fly out on a Monday, fly back on a Friday, and in between, they try to torture you with PowerPoint. <laughs> and I, I brought my bike out. I wanted to cross New Mexico off the states I've ridden my bike. And on the fourth lap of a two-mile loop, I found out the back of the hotel up the main drag. I came around the bend. And a Ford Explorer going about 40 miles an hour was coming right at me. He had crossed fully into my lane. And I remember almost everything about that morning, in particular, the sound of me hitting the grill of his front of his the SUV. The sound I made as I went into the windshield and, and blew a hole through it, mm -hmm. which is really difficult. The screech of his brakes and the thud I made as I came to the asphalt below. I lost consciousness, which is probably no surprise. And then when I regained consciousness, I knew I knew things were not good. I was in the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. It was tense. I was scared. I was somewhat incoherent. I couldn't give them all my vital details. I didn't have a road ID. There wasn't yeah. really a road ID back then. But I did try to cut the tension with a little humor. And I asked them the question that only another cyclist can appreciate, which you've read my book. I asked them, like, well, how's my bike? Yeah. And they just looked at me and and it was my feeble attempt to distract what was right in front of me. Yeah. And basically, I was fighting for my life. And I sort of knew it. I just remember willing myself not to fall asleep because I thought if I did, I would lose control. Yeah. And again, the whole control thing as a dad, as a husband, as a leader. And then they put me onto the helicopter and I made a commitment to myself that, hey, Michael, if you live, uh, life is going to be different. You're going to have to stop chasing happiness. Yeah. And and I, I, I made that comment to myself, the commitment to myself. But as they were putting me on the helicopter, Brian, I had like no idea. Like, well, OK, that sounds great. Like, how are you going to do that? But I did that. And I remember every minute of that 19-minute flight, and my first surgery lasted a little bit over 
10, 11 hours, I needed 34 units of blood product. And the next four days and change I spent in the ICU. You, I, I got to go back to the control point. Um, you told me your story before I read the book. And the thing that I wasn't really, I hadn't thought about was that whole control thing. And um, you're, you're pretty, for a guy who was in and out and in the immense amount of pain you were in, the way you retell those moments and your desperate fight to stay awake so that, you know, because you don't know what's going to happen if you fall asleep and if that will be the last time or what. And, and that that fear and that uh, how much of it was out of your control because of how severe your injuries were, um, the desperation, like all of that, you really brought that, brought that to the forefront. I think it's a, it's a really powerful way to bring up that point of control and how powerful it is for all of us. And I don't think most of us are aware of it that, you know, so much of our own dysfunction comes from those moments where we feel like we don't have control or if we could just get control, it would be okay. And yet we really can't. We really can't like, you know, like everyone's morning commute, you know, some people are probably listening to this on their morning commute or evening commute. And we don't have any control of that. Yeah. But I, yeah, I was, I was just grasping on trying, like trying to hold on, like, don't fall asleep. Do not fall asleep. I, I thought I was going to be able to direct my like emergency care. And I, I was doing the white knuckle thing and, yeah. you know, now looking back, be like, God, you were white knuckling your whole freaking life. Yeah. Like just holding just on. Moment. Yeah. It wasn't just that moment. It was like the whole thing is like, what, are, what are you doing that? No wonder you were so exhausted. No wonder yeah. you spent all your energy at work and then you just brought the leftovers home because you were trying to control it all. And part of it, and I've had this conversation with someone last week, Cause they asked me, well, where did that, where did that come from? And I was like, well, there's a part of me and there's probably a part in everyone where I just wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be liked. I was looking for validation. I didn't necessarily, you know, have like great self-compassion when I was younger. And I, you know, you, all the feelings of not being enough. Yeah. And I thought, well, God, if I can control the environment, if I can like just make it look good like it's sort of how like many people walk around with with their lives now and they show it through a filter like it's going to be okay like i'll 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 be valid right i'll i'll find the happiness after chasing it and i yeah i realized as you know as i spent <laughs> my time it meant many many hours many days in the hospital and more in outpatient rehab thinking yeah. about like wow like i was really trying to control a whole bunch and doing a, doing a poor, poor job of it. Yeah. And so much of it through that whole process ends up being out of your control. There's like, you can't, you, you, there's a lot of studies around attitude and, and focus and how that can help with healing, but ultimately the cells need to repair. You've got an orthopedist who isn't necessarily working with you or aligned with you or that you're feeling aligned with ultimately. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that, you just, no matter how, how much your knuckles get white, you're not going to be able to control them. Yeah. And I was, you know, there are times where I share in the book where I, I was at the lowest point in terms of dignity in my whole life, yeah. you know, where it's just, I was dependent on, on everyone to do everything. Like yeah. I, here I was 33 years old and just 
having a bowel movement, I needed support. And that, talk about like the lowest point that when I had to call like the nurses around that, because everyone, when you have major surgery like I did, because I broke a whole bunch of everything, they're really concerned about, hey, is everything moving inside? Yeah. And, and that became like the focal point, like in all the, all the, all the wisdom of like, you should eat this or you should drink this. Yeah. And, and, and no one really fully understood like how lonely and scared I felt on, and I know we like, sometimes it's like potty humor, right? But this is like the real deal, like how lonely and scared I felt on top of that bedpan For when sure. the curtain was closed. I was like, holy cow, is this the rest of my life? Yeah. Like I have to call someone to clean me up. Yeah. And that was to you know, like, you know, even now I get sort of goosebumpy when I, when I share it, because that was such a powerful, like, oh my God, I have lost everything through this. Yeah. And when, that was sort of the darkest part of like the early phases of my recovery. I wanted yeah. life to be different, but it was different early on in a way that I didn't want. I got really dark, yeah. really angry. Before I before it got better. Yeah. Um, you you talked about that uh, just to get super specific in the book, like on page one twenty one, you're talking about depending having to depend on others forever, and who does that make you, and who will you be as a result of that? And it, it, for me, like that spoke so clearly to the, something I talk about. You know that it's like you don't have to depend on other people forever right now, and yet that's a really it's a hard feeling not to be overwhelmed by and overcome by and then to how that leads into questioning who you are as a person and like that spoke to me so much in in the stuff that I talk about because I was like yeah I've been right there with you and on you know different subjects in different ways but those moments where you're at your lowest it's really hard not to just be hit with this like like what am I at this point and I'm gonna have to do this for the rest of my life. And this is, it's crushing, like as a person, my identity. Yeah. You know? And also just part of it was also like, I just crushed the, my whole family. Yeah. And cause it was, there are times where I was like, it would have been easier if I just died. Yeah. You said that because, because like, like Lynn, Lynn, Lynn and the girls could have moved on yeah. maybe, you know, and this is all the psyche. And I know like people can offer different points of view, but like when you're alone in the hospital, especially at night, because I wasn't sleeping. I was on a whole bunch of meds and in the hospital, you don't really sleep all that much because everything's beeping and they're checking yeah, they you for vitals every hour. And, yeah. yeah. And so there's a lot of time to think. And I, you know, I, I was like, golly, man, this, this, this crushed your identity, but it's also crushing their identity. Yeah. And back then too, the the whole notion of asking for help. Yeah. You know, forget about got you know the joke about guys and asking for help with directions. Here I was at the lowest point of my life, and I'm like, golly, I have to ask for help. Like yeah. the people that are weak ask for help, yeah. right? Like people who don't know ask for help. Now I I have a completely different view of that now, yeah. but back then I was like, I have to ask for help for everything. Yeah, and holy cow, like man, this is going to be one long journey. And one, I wasn't necessarily all that excited about pedaling towards. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, but I, I felt like, and those were sort of the quiet moments by myself. And then when I had visitors, I felt, okay, Superman again, I got to put on the brave face. Like, Hey, it's all good. Like, we're going to make this going happen. Back I'm going to get on back. stage. Yeah. Going back on stage. And cause I felt like 
I couldn't be vulnerable because we didn't because the emotions were so powerful. We were still as a family trying to figure them all out. Like, what do we do? And I tell you, my wife, my wife is the head of my Peloton. She helped in such a, like, like, I don't even have words to describe it. Um, you know, I'm here because of her. Yeah. And the book in a lot of ways is, you know, a little bit of an open love letter to her. And some of the best feedback I get is when someone reads it and they're like, wow, your wife is amazing. I want to meet her. I'm like, yeah, you should. She is pretty amazing. Yeah. Lynn strikes me as, um, super pragmatic, super driven, a doer problem solver. Um, and someone who, if you're, if you're in a difficult situation, you absolutely want her in your corner because she will make sure you get to the other side. Oh, totally. Like, yeah, she is a GSD, get stuff done type of gal. And yeah, practical, no nonsense. Let's get it done. We're going to figure this out. But when you, when you have a moment where you need someone, like you need to phone a friend, she, she's the phone a friend. Yeah. Um, you did, you mentioned something, uh, just a moment ago about people visiting and, this was a really interesting thing for me around the uh, the disappointment on others or, or yeah. around others that you frame like there's three kinds of people. There's the people who you thought would come to visit that didn't. There's the people who um, you didn't think would visit and or the people who, who you thought would visit and did. And then there's the people who you never had any expectations of. And they showed up like this guy who was based in New Mexico for your company who you didn't even know, but still came in the afternoons and, and sat with you and Lynn. Um, but it's that first group that you were focusing on the disappointment with them and, you know, through reflection and everything, you, you got to move past it. I think so many of us, that's the only group we end up seeing is the ones yes. who let us down. And it's like, you're, you have compassion for them and understanding like, well, let, let's try to look at it from their lens and why they may not have been there. And maybe they struggled with it. And it just, the the power for you of moving past that, this theme of forgiveness that starts to weave its way through your story. Can you can you talk about that a little bit and that that group A, the you know, the first the first group? You know, I'd love to, Brian. Yeah, because there is like there's a, you know, my journey of forgiveness and that first group, the people I thought were gonna show up and didn't. Early on, I was like, who are they to not show up when I'm at the lowest point in my life? How dare they? Like I was pissed, you know, Uh, we'll keep it, we'll keep the show clean, but (laughs) I had other colorful language. I was really upset at them and, and I just felt like I was getting a whole bunch of excuses. Now, the other thing that happened when I was in the hospital, 9-11 happened. And so some of them had planned on coming in later September. My birthday was September 20th. So some of them were going to come then and then just couldn't because we stopped air traffic. Yeah. But I was, I was like, wow, like you didn't, you didn't show up. And it was friends from high school. It was colleagues at work. Um, it was just, you know, other people in the neighborhood. And I was like, wow, like, what is up with that? That is so, I, so I labeled it as like, that is so wrong. Yeah. Like how, how dare you? And then over time I realized, you know, as I sat with it more, and I realized how difficult it is to show up for some when someone's at that low point. You know, it could be like my accident or, you know, you have a friend who has end stage cancer 
and you just don't know what to say. Yeah. And um sorry. Um and you, so you don't show up. Yeah. And cuz you cuz cuz in that moment it's just really difficult to like I don't know what to say. And what I realized over time is that they were just experiencing like the accident from their own perspective. And I wanted to honor that. And I didn't want to judge them for it because it's difficult. And sometimes, you know, even from myself, like, you know, I went through all this and am I perfect at showing up for, you know, other people when they have moments where it's really difficult. It's like, I, I don't know what to say, but I'm here. Yeah. Like I'm, I, you know, I sit here with you today, Brian, I, like I'm not perfect at this. Um, I still have moments where I struggle, where I was like, I just don't know what to say. But I'm, I'm gonna, you know, with some vulnerability and courage, I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold your hand, or I'm, I'm just gonna just be there, and yeah. we don't have to say anything. But for the early, you know, early part of that recovery, I, I was really mad at them, and. And it, what it did is also like the, all that energy that I had towards them blinded me sometimes in some moments for the people who were there, right? The people that in group B and group C, the people that I expected to show up and did, or the people that I didn't, didn't even know were going to show up, showed up in a major way. So when we carry around that energy about all the people who didn't, sometimes we can't see all the people who did. Yeah. And I knew this, that I had to let go of the, of the mojo or energy or vibe or whatever I had, you know, against that first group. And basically just they're there. They were there for me, but just in a different way. Yeah. They weren't present in my hospital room, but I knew this, they were thinking of me. Yeah. And that matters. You know, that, that was, that was their way. Yeah. And we all show up in our own way. And instead of like spending all this energy, energy and burning all these calories and judging how someone else is showing up, maybe we can just accept however they're showing up as a gift. It may not be the gift that we want, but it's a gift that they can give us right now. And that is meaningful. And but it, it, it <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> it took me a while to get there. man. For sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's the getting there and the bigger picture of getting there. That's, that's what the word shift is really about for you in the story where you have this, you start to have this realization in watching what's around you, recognizing how your interpretation of it and your acceptance or pushback or fighting against the white knuckling is either going to keep you from moving ahead or open you up to being able to like make good on that, that promise you made in the, uh, the medevac flight about the change. So w what is, tell me about this. Like, how did you come to this moment? And what is the realization that you started to have that created the new path? Well, so it was during a routine physical rehab session, but I, I do think this is, that was like the big moment. We'll call it the big shift or aha, but I do believe, and I think we've talked about this in the past that, like our success in life happens in the moments in between the moments. So I think there are a whole bunch of like little moments that led up to this big moment. Cause I, 
sat there and I just looked around the room and I, I was sort of gazing out like, why are some people getting better and some people aren't? And I wasn't making the type of progress I wanted to make. And I, through that whole thing, I just concluded that I had to get my mindset straight mm-hmm. to, in order for it to get my body straight. Like, I, you know, we talk a lot about like worrying ourselves sick. So I was like, well, if you can worry yourself sick, maybe you can think yourself well. And, and I knew like mindset was powerful as an athlete growing up. So I just made a conclusion, like I you gotta get your mind right. You gotta be start you gotta start thinking differently, but be authentic and genuine with that. Because I wasn't in alignment, right? I had thoughts and words and actions, but I had different thoughts, words and actions privately. And then I had another set of thoughts, words and actions publicly. And I needed to have some alignment there in order to be able to maximize my energy and put more effort into my rehab so I could get back on my feet out of the hospital and try to become the husband and father and person I wanted to become and lose all this comparisonitis stuff that mm. I I would reference like, you know, what what does the neighbor have and or what does my colleague have and how much money are they make and what toys do they have? And just like the only comparison was me and and this belief, like I'm going to show up today. This is why I love the work that you do. And I think, you know, we're, we're so aligned is like, I'm going to show up today. I'm going to put in the effort, call it hard work, call it hustle, call it whatever to create a better tomorrow. Like today, today is a gift. We're going to, we're going to put all of our effort in it. I'm going to show up with intentionality, with purpose, with drive. I'm going to respect the day that I have Yeah. because I may not get another one. Because I took all this for granted before my accident. When I took my mobility for granted, I took my health for granted. And so that was the moment where I decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to do things differently. I wasn't exactly sure how. <laughs> so, and it wasn't a light switch and it hasn't been linear. But I believe this, pulling a page from my wife, everything's figure outable. <laughs> and we are gonna, we're going to figure it out. And we're going to try some things. And so the very next morning, I developed a new routine to frame my day. I wheeled myself to a quiet place in the hospital. I got quiet. I put on the soundtrack of my recovery, which uh, was Violator, that CD by Depeche Mode, back when I had a, a, a disc man because the iPod had not been released yet. And I played that. CD countless times, but I did my little morning exercises. I just, I really wanted to frame the day in terms of what do you want to do today? Who do you want to be? And what do you want to have more of? Yeah. And started framing it differently on the, on the qualities of health and peace and freedom and kindness and lose all the other stuff that we tend to get all hooked up around or carried away with. Yeah. You, you put in some really consistent work and you also didn't seem to be in a hurry. Like you, you seem to have this understanding that this is a daily thing going forward, you know, for the rest of my life, it it doesn't matter how long this is, I want to live differently. And this is what I want to do to create that. It's you, you talked about it as, um, you like you clearly had the awareness and maybe that moment in the physical therapy session was when the awareness came in, but you're saying acceptance is another thing. And that 
to me is that key difference in whether it sticks or not is the acceptance and the creation of the framework and the foundation, like the motivation, the, the things that really matter to you to allow you to keep doing it. Absolutely. It's like, you know, when I work with my clients, I know, you know, your message too is it's the daily discipline strung together. And yeah, I wasn't in a hurry. I'm like, we're going to, we're going to make progress each day, no matter how small or how big it's that discipline. And to your point, Brian, the acceptance, you know, the early phase of it, when I was still in New Mexico and still, as I came back to New Jersey, I was arguing with reality. I would like spend hours again at night arguing with like, this should not have happened. The driver had a revoke license. This is so unfair. I wish it was different. Yada, yada, yada. And at the end of all that, like energy spent, I still was in the hospital and, and I, I had, you know, I found awareness as far as like, okay, what I was feeling and sort of my surrounding and what I wanted, but it wasn't until I really accepted the accident, not being happy with it, not tolerating it, but accepting it in this way. It is, it happened, Michael, right? Accept the fact that it happened stop arguing with reality and let's get to work. Mm -hmm. And the work I did was like small steps. I don't believe in hacks. Um, I believe in like showing up in a very practical, hopefully relatable way with, you know, the people in my Peloton, if you will, but yeah. very practical way day in and day out and putting in the work, uh, drip by drip, uh, pedal stroke by pedal stroke, I believe that's how change happens. Certainly there can be lightning bolt moments. And I had a lightning bolt moment with my accident. That was a big catalyst for my change. But once the lightning is over, it's drip by drip. Mm. And I I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to live my life. And I've been, you know, I've been adjusting it and tweaking it and trying to fine tune it as we work our way towards self mastery and craft mastery and, 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 just trying to get better tomorrow than I am today. So each day, each morning I wake up and I'm like, okay, what do you want to, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? What do you want to have? Yeah. And that frames my day. And I try to show up honoring the values and honoring the people in my life because I am here because of them, because we can't do any of this stuff all by ourselves. You know, Superman, Superman is for cartoons. <laughs> um, we need community to get things done. Yeah. All right. So go into this word Peloton for those who don't know what it means. And yes, it is a fitness bike and treadmill <laughs> and other things, but that's not what we're talking about right now. No, it's not. But like my family says, when are we going to buy one of those? And I'm like, well, you know, maybe soon, who knows? I, I like, I, obviously I have a whole bunch of bikes. Yeah. So a Peloton, so a Peloton, people know the commercials and you know, they're really great inspirational commercials, but no one seems to be working out in their basement, which is sort of odd, but I digress. So mm -hmm. a Peloton is a group of cyclists in a bike race. So think the tour de France yeah. that those cyclists that are riding down the roads of France into Paris, that's a Peloton. And when I was in the hospital, I looked at my medical team and I'm like, they're like a Peloton. Right. So the, all different teams, just like the Tour de France, that, that Peloton is made up of different teams and different roles. But together, they need to be able to communicate with each other. There certainly has to be trust 
because they're riding inches away from each other. There's collaboration. There's sharing the load, drafting. Uh, it's like a little community. Even though they have different perspectives, some of them have different objectives. And my medical team was like that. And I was like, wow, that, that would be a really great name for a company. And also just for me, it was a sense of community. Like, who are you riding with in life? You know, we like to use tribes and personal board of directors. And one could say the word Peloton is my metaphor for that, for mm -hmm. tribes at work or tribes and communities. So to me, like a Peloton, there, there's movement to it and there's flow and there's adjustments because sometimes there's like a tailwind. Sometimes there's, you know, a headwind, uphill, downhill. There are, you know, potholes and all those different things. Right. And but it's there's some beauty to it. There's there's a flow to it. But those qualities of trust, collaboration and communication are always there, too. Like you can't you, you can't move down the road that fast by yourself that you need people around you. And for me, it's you know, it, it became sort of this big, you know, ideology or mantra or whatever you want to say about like, OK, who are you riding with? Who, who's in your Peloton? Who's around you to help you go a little bit faster tomorrow than you're going today? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, so it's like, I was digging into all these different things that shifts started to mean to me, Peloton, same thing is like you take turns drafting. So who's going to cut the wind so that everyone else can have an easier ride for a bit. And then when do you step up and be altruistic and selfless for a moment and help everyone else because you've benefited other times. Like there's so many aspects of it. You know, we need to stay tight. We're protecting each other like a school of fish you know, um, but at the same time, like if any one of us goes off, we can take everybody down. So we have to be mindful of the fact, the fact that we are all depending on each other and I still need to be careful and respectful. And like, there's, I just kept going with him like, Oh, and, and then there's this meeting and there's that. And of course my wife just thinks every time I had time scheduled with you that I'm buying another piece of exercise <laughs> or fitness stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I should like work out a deal with like the Peloton guys. Some kind of commission month. structure or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. No, but I, like I, you know, the tour de France is coming up here in, in July and, and we're sitting down like right before it starts. But for me, like I watched the whole thing and I'm like, wow, it's like, it's, there's a, you know, most people watch, it's like a bunch of people riding their bikes. It's like, you know, it's like, like, you know, cause a lot of people in America, like a bike is like a fun thing we do when we were kids. And then yeah. we grow up and get a driver's license and we, we get into our car. But for me, there's, there's, it's a sense of beauty, you know? And also I think there's a sense of beauty in the communities um, that we decide to be a part of. And to your point, Brian, like you, you can't be a chucklehead in a Peloton, right? Because you, you, your actions, ha they have a ripple effect. You know, there's a there's a cascade. So if you ride ir irresponsibly, you're going to have an impact on other people. And, and in that case, you know, it can be really detrimental to folks. But also at work or in life that we want to have, you know, we should be mindful and thoughtful about who we're riding with because life is just not, yeah, it's just not a solo ride or a so solo project. We need people around us and we should put in put in the time to give great care to those people. And I'm here today because, you know, mainly by maybe not by purposeful design, maybe some luck involved. I had one fantastic Peloton behind me helping me. 
And today I'm the one hopefully in front trying to like break the wind for them. And, you know, there'll be a time where I'll circle back and draft off of them. And uh, there's some be beauty in that motion. Yeah, I love that. Um, all right, I, I'm going to ask you some general stuff in a second about like what's next and all that. But there's one, there's, so you have these, these like, not rules, maybe guide. I'm trying to see how you refer to them in the back of the book. Um, My 20 ways of being. Ways of being. That's much nicer than rules. I, yeah. I love them all. Um, they're all great. But one of them was like, left me with a very hell yeah kind of feeling. And that's number five of be working. And it's really the way you put it that um, to never be out hustled on the things that truly matter. I would yes. like, so I think I may have actually said hell yeah out loud. And I was alone. <laughs> I was on a flight and luckily the woman next to me has some really big headphones. And I don't think she caught it, but I couldn't help myself. Uh, that's awesome. Um yeah. So was that phrase. So I, I just, I had to call that out. Um, I don't know if there's anything more to say on it. Like you're welcome to, but I was just like, hell yeah, I got to tell him that. Well, uh, that's awesome. Like it hit home that way. I, I, I'm a big, Hey, I'm a big believer in like, we got to put in the work. Yeah. Right. So I think we tend to like, we, in this attention economy that we find ourselves in, like people sort of gravitate towards the edges. They want to be edgy. Like you got to be hustling 24, seven, 365 or, no, just like rest and be peaceful or hack right? it and do no effort. Or, yeah. So hack just it and just it. have a, a four hour work day. It's like, you know, Tim Ferriss is working four hours a week. Gary V is not taking, not sleeping. Like, yeah, I think it, Tim is not actually working four hours a week. He's yeah. crazy busy, but yeah. Yeah. And, and so, but like, so you have those, like those personas, you know, that in their own way, that's part of the message. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know Gary's is more nuanced than just that, but that's sort of like how he broke in and Tim had his four hour work week. Yeah. And so it's like, wow, like, those, like, so those get on the edge and they get noticed. And so I'm a, Hey, let's, we got to put in the work. We got to put in the effort. Success definitely requires some sweat, but we also have to, get focused on the things that truly matter instead of trying to juggle all this stuff. Right. And I wrote a blog post about this this past week, uh, like an early lesson from my cycling days where I got all bundled up for a, a winter ride and I overheated because I was dressed yeah. incorrectly. Right. So and the a fellow cyclist said, you need to dress comfortably cold, meaning get really, you know, like don't start your ride all warm, you know, be a little cold because once you get going, yeah. on the ride, you're going to warm up. And I think it's the same way about life, like be comfortably cold. And so when you work on the things that truly matter, you're going to warm up. But let's get focused on that. So you can put a disproportional amount of energy and attention on that stuff. And hopefully avoid all the, you know, all the energy and focus on the things that don't matter, all the shiny objects, if you will. Well, no one ever points out how long my sleeves are because I generally don't have them when I'm going out for a run. So it's more like, how are you running in a tank top right now? It's for that exact reason. So hopefully uh, I'm not just doing that on runs. I'm being comfortably cold more often because I tend to overheat. But yes. yeah, that's good advice. A little shivering at the beginning is probably a yeah. good sign. Yeah. And then you're going to, you're going to warm, warm up plenty. You yeah. know, it's, um, but I, like I'm a big believer, put in the work, um, work on the things that truly matter, make that, make that intense if you need to make it intense, yeah. but then make sure you're also recovering. 
Yeah. You know, I, you know this as an athlete, like work, you know, most athletes don't work hard enough when they have to work hard enough and they don't rest hard enough when they need to rest. Yeah. And I, I approach my life and work that way. It's like, you know, work hard when you need, you need to work hard, but make sure you're getting the right recovery in. And that's how you get, that's how you get smarter, better, faster in, in all, all areas of your life. Yeah. So that, um, there's a corollary to that. Don't be out hustled on the things that truly matter. And that's don't hustle on the things that truly don't. And it kind of goes to, you know, you, you gave, uh, um, Gareth and Craig, a question for me about like, how do I, you know, how do you, how do you do it all? How do you balance things? And, you know, being a father and, and the side hut, like all of it. Um, and it led to this whole conversation about saying no to things. And actually that's probably that that's probably the hardest part of everything is what do you say no to and recognizing, like, it's not that it's a bad thing. It's not that you wouldn't want to do it, but if you have what truly matters to you in mind, is this, is doing this going to stand in the way of that? And if the answer is yes, and you do it, then what you said truly matters probably doesn't truly matter because you just made a decision that put it at risk. Absolutely. It it goes back to like every no is a yes. Yeah. And And every yes is a no. And you know, get, you know, so for me, the guide points are my values. So I'm not going to take on any work where I feel I can't, you know, be kind if it's not going to promote, you know, freedom, health, peace, if I can't have integrity with it, which for me, integrity is more about alignment, Mm. then it's also being honest and trustworthy. But for me, integrity is the person you see, maybe online, is the same dude you're going to get when you meet me in person. Yeah. You know, I had one of my readers of shift uh, who was local. He was like, can we get grab coffee? I was like, yeah. And then he, um, he posted something after I didn't ask him to, but he was kind enough. He was like, I just had coffee with Michael O'Brien. The guy that you, the guy you read about in this book is the same guy I just had coffee with. And for me, that that's just, for, for me, it's just an important way of living. Yeah. Well, I can verify that uh, the guy in the book is the same guy I did a Zoom call from a rest area in New York State. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a similar kind of like, okay, if you can be the same guy there, pulled over on the side of the highway. Yeah, you weren't you weren't like in the rest area, just or the rest room. The rest. No, area. I was like, just like I was just in my car. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was in my car. Yeah, uh, up to yeah, up to either Albany or Vermont. I can't remember because I had a stage race in Vermont that like you were near heading that- to Vermont. Yeah. I don't know where, where you were in the process, but yeah, I was, well, I was near, that's it. I was right before Albany going to Vermont. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, Vermont is hilly. Yes, it is. Yeah. So it was a beautiful weekend for a race. And for me, every time I pin a number on for a race, I've automatically won. Yes. You know, for me, it's a, it's a statement about living life and being in the game and, whether I come in first place or last place, I'm like, I already got a victory. And that's pretty sweet. Well, when people read your book, if they haven't yet, um, which I, I strongly recommend everybody to, um, they'll understand like you getting that crank around to pedal one revolution was not in the cards per se. Um, that took a lot of work, a lot of rehab, a lot of surgery, a lot of, um, you're not white knuckling things, but there were definitely some white knuckle moments in there. Um, God, that, that time you described the first time you walked down the parallel bars and back when you took oh. your first steps again and the, being drenched in sweat and just utterly exhausted. Um, 
yeah, like it, it, that was no small feat to let alone be able to pin a number on and do a full event. Um, just moving that pedal around once was, was definitely not a given at all. Um, and that becomes really clear oh. through the process. So congratulations, man. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Um, well, I honestly, like I could take up the rest of your day. Um, but then you wouldn't get to ride. So tell, <laughs> tell well, us. It's, it's, pour, it's pouring today. So I actually rode today in the pain cave inside, uh, which is something that I don't like to do in the middle of the summer. But it was major thunderstorms blew through here this morning. So I was inside, you know, I put on I put on a little Depeche Mode, to be honest. Um, okay. But I, I had a good, you know, I had a good ride. It's supposed to get a warm up tomorrow and Thursday. So we'll get okay. outside over the next couple of days. Well, where can people find you and your talks and your blog and your book? And, and obviously I'll link to all this stuff, but what's the best way to get a hold of you and, and your coaching work? Like you are available to coach people to come speak at leadership events and otherwise, like where can they learn more? Yeah. The best place to start would be my website, which is michaelobrienshift.com. They can check out the book. All the proceeds of the book go to World Bicycle Relief. They help girls conquer the challenge of distance by giving them a bike. So as you read Shift, my hope is it will help change your life. And it's going to change some girl's life halfway around the world, which is pretty cool. And then there you can also find like all the different social media places like mm. Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and learn about my executive coaching and my leadership academy as well as you know, me going out and speaking at your company and bringing a little inspiration and practical tips to hopefully drive better performance out there. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, I will link to all that. Michael, I'm so thankful that we got connected and it sounds like whether we wanted to or not, it was going to happen because too many people were trying to make it happen. Yes. Um, but I'm glad we did. And, uh, your, your book affected me. And like, honestly, I have found myself referring to it literally every day, multiple times a day, different aspects of it, different lessons from it. And I mean that genuinely, I'm not, you know, this isn't like always on my show. So I need to pick out a few things and say that I said them like yesterday at the gym here at this <laughs> event I'm at, there's a guy, uh, who he's in a suit, he comes into the weight room and I'm doing some PT work for my lower back and he grabs these three pound weights and he's working his wrists in uh, negative motion. So I'm like, okay, this is a guy who's clearly got some kind of wrist injury. He stops everyone in the, in the weight room to tell them why he's only lifting three pounds. And he's like laughing at himself and putting himself down. And oh. so, you know, like he's clearly dealing with the perceptions yeah. and what are yeah. people. Yeah. And I just said, Hey, you know what? Most he's doing PT cause he wants to get out and play tennis and he's got a wrist injury. So I just said, Hey, you know what? Most people wouldn't do the PT. So good for you. That's awesome. You're, you're stronger than a lot of people. And like, you know, he's going through it, but he's feeling yeah. shame and he's feeling like, you know, everyone else is watching him and, and just need a bit of support. And I was like, I felt that coming from what I read for you, obviously totally different level of PT, but, uh, yeah, I, I felt a little something from your book that like this guy needs to be, he needs someone in his Peloton right now. Yeah. So he's not just feeling the shame. Him. Yeah. yeah. Just like, yeah. Cause it is, it's like for him to be able to do that, that is, that is a huge ass win for him yeah. because most people wouldn't do it and most people wouldn't do it publicly. Yeah. But he, we talk about vulnerability and courage is showing up and doing that. And yeah, he had to make his statement. That's he, he's just, that's part he's of his processing. Yeah. He's uncomfortable, but you know, that's a really great 
first step on his part. And, you know, I know, but I second what you said, Brian, like we were destined to come together and I love the fact that you love the story, but more importantly, I love the fact that we're connected Yeah. uh, because the work you're doing is, is meaningful work, life-changing work. And, and it's, it's um, more people need to hear it. And I'm, I'm really, I'm thankful that we're, um, we're in the same Peloton now. So it took, it took us a while, but yeah, we're riding together and um, I'm happy about that. Well, and here's, here's the weird thing. I think this goes back even further. So our event dates are different and our events are different, but we were both 32 when things happened. Um, mine was July 1st. Yours was July 11th, but mine was July 1st, 2011. Like, okay, maybe yeah. I'm reading into it, but I just, I'm like, oh, there's, there's like, it's, it's little things like that, but I just, maybe I'm looking for them, no, but it just keeps, I've, you know, maybe it's confirmation bias. But I do keep noticing all of these little things and, and reading your book, like I feel like there's a lot of value alignment. Um, so yeah, it, it had to happen. Maybe it was even longer in the making than we realized, but I'm thankful for it either way. Likewise, likewise. I'm glad, glad we're connected. And when I get back up to Boston next, we'll have to like meet in person. Yeah. Which, uh, we'll find we'll a nice sometime. rest area yeah. and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go for a little ride together. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be cool. All right. We could, we could keep, uh, drawing out the clothes even longer, but I'll, I'll, uh, you, you ready to close things up? Yeah. All right. Today's a new day. Go make it happen. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michael. Thanks, Brian. Wow. Wasn't that so powerful and moving and deep? It's incredible. I, I obviously, uh, Michael's story is really powerful, but I also really find Michael, just his style, his approach, uh, all of it is is really powerful and um, it just hits you in the right way like he knows how to deliver it there's something in his voice and his style and uh, you know I've got to connect with him by video so I get to see his mannerisms there's something really I don't know if it's empathetic or just human in how he connects um, I think it'd be so interesting to know Michael before the accident to see if this is just sort of who he is or if maybe the, the whole experience shifted him as profoundly, not just in the ways that he's talking about, but like the whole of his style, his, you know, his approach to people. My gut tells me he's probably always been, you know, this great guy that people just love connecting with. Um, but maybe just one more level of like empathy has come in. I don't know. Uh, obviously, I'll never know. But I'm thankful to know Michael today. And to be in his circle, obviously, uh, you guys heard all the various connections and, and overlaps. And so it was like, this was all bound to happen, but I'm thankful that it did. And I'm so thankful to have gotten to bring this episode to you. Uh, if you haven't read Shift, you should go to michaelobrienshift.com and you can pick up the book there. Obviously, you can get it at bookstores and uh, Amazon and, and all that kind of stuff, but really fantastic read. Um it's it's going to make you think, but that's a choice, right? You can choose to think while you're reading it, or you can just sort of let it be. You know, you can take the message in and pause and ponder and reflect and everything, or not. I think if you've made it through this episode, you're ready to choose to do that. And choose to do a day, right? So thank you for listening. Go to michaelobrienshift.com. Of course, go to doadaybook.com. Doadaybook.com slash the exercise. You can push yourself 
to start to dig into these things. And hey, if you're enjoying this, if you like the episode, you like the guests that I have on, it would mean the world to me if you did three things. If you reviewed the show on iTunes, if you subscribed to make sure you don't miss an episode, and if you tell someone you care about. That's the most important in those three to me is share the episode, share the show with someone you think who could benefit. Maybe they need a bit of inspiration. Maybe they're facing some tough time, some tough moment in their life, and they need that story from someone else for them to sort of have that spark inside, that connection that helps them wake up. So like it, review it, subscribe, share it. Thank you so much. I'm excited for all of you to go out and have your last bad day so you can do a day moving forward, fully shifted the way Michael has. Thanks, everyone.